Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to Radio Read Along. It's that part of the show where we all get together live and talk about the book we've been listening to. And of course, the book we've been listening to is J.M. Barry's Peter Pan. And I am joined by the Center for Lit crew to discuss it. By the way, <laughs> introductions are probably necessary. I'm Adam Andrews, along with my family, the Center for Lit crew, my wife, Missy. Hi. My daughter, Megan. Hello, everyone. And my daughter-in-law, Emily. Hi. Hey, guys. J.M. Barry's Peter Pan. What do you think? I think that I loved listening to Megan read this. It was completely enchanting. Just a magical experience. Is that just because she's your daughter? Maybe. I mean, yeah, I'm going to cop to that. Biased. I might be a little biased, but the truth is I, I invite people in the Pelican Society to weigh in on this with me, but I loved your voice in this capacity, like this particular story. Your voice was perfect oh. for it. Loved your character voices. It was full of whimsy and magic. I just loved it. <laughs> That's so exciting. You're welcome. Well, I am just tickled that people enjoyed it. I sure enjoyed recording it. I think this story is absolutely magical. And I think whimsy is the perfect word to describe J.M. Barry's story. He clearly understood children and loved them and wrote the story with them in mind. Mm. I think he had some some personal experience he was drawing from and maybe love for some some particular children who he may maybe incorporated into the storyline. It it felt real for that reason. So Megan, do you know details about that that make that true or does it just feel like that and seem like that when you read it? Well, I was so curious after reading it out loud that I went and did some research on him and yes, there actually were some very particular children that he um, came in contact with and loved and took care of. I can't remember the name of the family. It was the the I don't know how you say it. It's Llewellyn yeah. or Llewellyn Davies. Llewellyn. Llewellyn. Okay. Llewellyn. The Llewellyn yeah, Davies Llewellyn kids. Davies. That's there right. There were five of them. Mm-hmm. And in my reading today, I discovered that their mother was actually the aunt of Daphne du Maurier, who wrote no, Rebecca. Oh. And her, well, it would be her dad, right? So that would be Daphne du Maurier's grandpa, actually mm-hmm. helped to produce the original stage play with J.M. Barry that resulted from this work. Wow. Cool. Actually, I think it preceded this work because the book itself started as a work of adult literature. Um, it was called The White, The Little White Bird, published in mm-hmm. 1902. And it was just, it's kind of an episodic narrative. And in one chapter, he introduced this character, Peter Pan, and um, it, the chapter was called, let's see, Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens. And eventually yes. it was excised from the adult novel. And developed and turned into, into a story of its own. Yeah. And, and I think initially it was just republished under the name Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens as a, uh, an illustrated children's book. Uh, all the illustrations were done by Arthur Rackham, who's one of my favorite children's book illustrators. But then... Barry or went ahead and, and expanded it into this stage play, The Boy Who Wouldn't Grow Up, which mm-hmm. eventually became the novel as we know it today. Well, I just think when you're reading the book and you don't know any of that, uh, there are interesting little asides that read like stage directions. Mm. So you can tell that it's been adapted from a play. There are like uh, characters entering in, in parentheses and it's set up as if there's a dialogue between two characters on a stage oftentimes, mm. which makes it extra fun to read aloud. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. This may be jumping ahead, but when you say that about stage directions and having the story read as though there's a live audience, it reminds me of that sort of pivotal 
scene in the plot where Peter actually turns to the audience, right? And, mm. and asks uh, everyone who believes in fairies to clap their mm. hands or something like that, right? Yes. Isn't that a direct address across stage lights to an audience? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So relate that, what, what mom was saying again, Megan, back to yeah. the kids that, that Barry may have been writing for. Is it the kids of this family? I had thought so specifically that he that he expanded that excerpt for their sake because they enjoyed the character of Peter Pan and he was he was expanding it for them and then even um, incorporating their characters into the story in the in the persons of the Lost Boys. Yeah, that's absolutely true. In fact, the the actual character of Peter was loosely based on one of the well, he was named after one of the children. Yes, that is fascinating. That's pretty cool. I want to jump into discussing the story itself, uh, and I want to start from maybe the obvious starting place that most people who have listened to Radio Read Along for these last few episodes have been brewing on, which is, and pardon me if this is too commercial and too mercantile and too American, but how does it compare to the famous Mm -hmm. Disney cartoon? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know, I remember, Megan, when you were making this recording, we had a couple of short conversations about how the differences were sort of born in upon you and you, you preferred the, the written hmm. version in some ways. Talk to, talk to me about that issue for just a minute yeah. and you other two join in as you feel led too. Well, I'm just trying to remember cause that was, it was a while ago that you and I were having those conversations, but what stuck with me since then is the comparison between the idyllic hero of Peter Pan in the Disney movie and the almost anti-hero um, sense that we get of him in the actual J.M. Barry story. There's, he's not all good because he's childish forever. Mm-hmm. And J.M. Barry makes that really apparent to us. The theme is really present that to mature is natural mm-hmm. and it's bittersweet, but it's good. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he won't, there's some, there's some sadness there and there's some darkness too mm-hmm. to his character that I think was really important. And that the Disney, the Disney story became a little from my perspective, a little two-dimensional when they took that out. It became not quite as deep and meaningful as it could have been. Mm. I agree. One one thought I had. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I totally agree. I think it was, um, the story itself was much more nuanced where the character of Peter Pan was concerned. Mm -hmm. There's a line in chapter 17 or the last chapter, I can't remember which one it is, where Wendy, having grown up, sees Peter again after a long absence and notices that he still has his first teeth Yes. And I think that's a perfect illustration of what you're saying because, ooh, that's kind of gross. <laughs> well, it, it's right? not though, but it's not like he still has his first teeth and he's a man with his first teeth. It's it's that he literally has never grown past the babyhood. Right, I understand. But to say it mm-hmm. that way, to use to to pick that detail to illustrate that someone hasn't grown up, there's a there's an overtone of darkness. There's an overtone of he's mm-hmm. stunted yes. in, in there that I think communicates, Megan, what you were trying to say a minute ago that he's stuck. Yeah. He's stuck, yeah. It's it's interesting that there aren't that many descriptions of Peter Pan in the story itself. I mm. mean, that is one of the major mm. descriptions that we get that he has his first teeth. Most of the descriptions have to do with his personality as opposed to his appearance mm. with mm. the exception of um this idea that he was clad in skeleton leaves and the juices that flow from trees, right? Which I think sort of evokes a little bit of that noble savage idea of the romantic period that he in some way evokes the natural part. He, he's associated with nature. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he is a, like a personification of 
childish nature, the nature of childhood, the nature of man, uncivilized, immature. That's so fascinating though, because, because of what I came away with, which is that he's unnatural in so many ways. So if he's personifying nature itself, the nature of childhood, and yet to be stunted is so unnatural, that's kind of a clash of ideas, wouldn't you say? I do think so. Absolutely. And you can see him kind of setting that up intentionally to explore what is natural and what is unnatural in both childhood and adulthood and the coming of age Mm -hmm. process. Because by putting Peter Pan together with the darling children, with Wendy and her brothers, and even with the other lost boys who do eventually come of age, right, and return with Wendy to, to um, the, the natural world and grow up and assume responsibilities in the world. Um, it, you can see him playing with those ideas and lamenting lost youth on the one hand, but at the same time in that scene towards the end when Peter Pan comes back and um, encounters Wendy in her grown-up state, you see Wendy feeling a little embarrassed that she's all grown up on the one hand. Right, I remember that. But feeling very sorry for Peter and still trying to get him to come back into her world, right? Come, come, grow up, come be a part. And he says, no, no, instead I'll take your daughter and go. She, you can see him kind of playing with lost childhood, lost innocence, but at the same time, this goodness in adulthood. And it's a, it's a tension, right? It's unnatural not to grow up, but there are things in the adult world that aren't preferable from his perspective. The heavy burdens, the heavy responsibilities, the lack of imagination, the colorless life, those things he laments. Because childhood, he pictures, is full of vibrant color and action and um, adventure. Mm -hmm. And this is the reason why Peter doesn't want to leave. And I think it's the reason that Mrs. Darling is content to send her daughter. What what is it, Jane? I think Jane at the end. She's content to send her daughter on a yearly basis or whenever Pan shows up. Spring cleaning. To do the spring cleaning and be his quote-unquote mother temporarily, that is to have her own adventures, that in some way, the way he resolves um, the tension between childhood and having to mature is Mm -hmm. the preservation of childhood for the next generation. I think it's interesting, given what you just said, that in the stage production and in the film as well, it's traditional for the character of Hook to also play Mr. Darling. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. But in the book, it's actually Peter Pan that Mr. Darling ends up echoing his words. In the final chapter, I forget what it is that he says, but he echoes a lot of the things that Peter Pan has said mm-hmm. in Neverland. And so the parallel is actually between Mr. Darling and Peter Pan, not Mr. Darling and Captain Hook, even though that's the tradition of the stage play. Oh, that's weird. Why do you what do you put that down to, Emily? How would you explain that switch. I mean, obviously the movie producers, right? The play director said we need to associate these two characters for dramatic effect. Well, I think in the play, the effect is that it draws out the, the evil qualities of adulthood in Mr. Darling, that he's become concerned with money and the pursuit of wealth and all the things that come with the worries of adulthood. But in the book, it's everything that mom was saying. It's there is some kind of preservation of pan in mm-hmm. the adult that is good. 
interesting. So ambiguous or multifaceted, I think maybe is a better word than ambiguous. Yes, Megan? Multifaceted. Yes, yeah. I mean, I there's, think. there's dark and light together, I think is what you were sort of implying a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I was, I was mulling over as I was reading it myself was the, the concept of memory being so important for Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he doesn't have one, right. He, he doesn't remember longer than, than a couple of hours or a couple of moments, depending on the scene in the story. And this is a really, um, it's another element of that, that dark and light together contrast in his character that this is a wonderful thing. And it's the reason that he's able to stay a child forever. He has no memory. He's always in the same moment. And um, it also reminds me of the description of Tinkerbell that she could only have one emotion in her mind at a time. Mm -hmm. She was too small for anything else. And I think Peter Pan is that way too. Mm -hmm. He's only big enough for one memory at a time. And then they sort of, it's transient. It passes. Mm -hmm. Don't you think that also, it kind of plays on his egocentrism too. As a child, for himself, yes, he only has thought for himself and what's going on right at the moment and what makes him happy. Um, And you can see, I here's again with the nuance in Barry's story. Yeah, Um, when you discover why he doesn't want to go back to the world of man and leave Neverland for adulthood and return to his mother, he says it's because he did that and the window was closed and she'd replaced him with a new baby. At least that's what he thought, right? Mm. And so he's broken. Yeah. There's a there's something in the past in his own life that he's that broke his heart that he's trying to forget that's caused him to um, reject his previous life and um, callous his heart towards mothers in that sense. Um, I like the word that mom just used um, for Peter, callous. I think that that's a really interesting word choice for him, particularly because of his treatment of his band, mm-hmm. his band of lost boys. Did you guys notice any callousness in his personality as uh, as you were listening to the recording? I definitely noticed it as I was reading, and I wondered what you what you made of that. He's when I think of Peter Pan, he's everyone's hero. He's the best, you know. He's all fun and no problems. And yet his treatment of his band is a little merciless. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wondered how that played into um, maybe to the immaturity that we were talking about a minute ago. Is that, is that common for all children that they're, they're merciless and self-seeking? Or is that um, Jay and Barry trying to tell us something about Peter's stuntedness? But what, what is it, the final line of the book, that Peter Pan will always exist as long as children are innocent and something and heartless and heartless and heartless and heartless too why is that important why is that you only get three words to describe the (laughs) essence of peter pan and maybe even of childhood and one of them is heartless why heartless i think i mean i thought on it for a long time and i have a reading of why that might be important but what do you guys think well i want to hear your reading but i think heartless is perfectly in keeping with that um, childish, childish egocentrism that I was just talking about, that world revolves mm. around me kind of attitude that keeps him from considering others. Um, he, you know, considering others instead of just yourself is, is a facet of maturity. Um, mm. Seeing not just um, what you want, but seeing yourself wanting it and seeing the effects of your wants on right. the people around you. Um, that's, we get to watch Wendy come of age and her brothers, she gets to lead her brothers into that kind of self-awareness as well. And 
additionally, the Lost Boys. And as a result, they all choose to go back to the real world of men and leave Neverland forever in order to um, grow up and and be responsible, um, consider their mother, right? Um, Peter turns a blind eye to that and says, I won't. I won't. You can't make me. In the original stage play I was reading, um, he he punished the lost boys that started to grow up. And, you know, in the story, if the lost boys start to grow up, I think they just sort of disappear. And in the stage play, he actually banishes them to nowhere land, nowhere land, <laughs> mm. which I think is very interesting. <laughs> it's like he, he won't even look at them. One commentary that I was reading online said that we don't really know what he does to these lost boys who um, defy him by growing up. Some suggested that maybe he kills them or banishes them. Wow. I thought, wow, that's kind of savage. That's sort of brutal. Mm. What is, I don't know a ton about Pan, like the ancient god. The mythical god? Given that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know I know about as much as him as showed up in Wind in the Willows, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a very... Uh, Limited amount. Yeah. Well, so, part boy, part goat, right? Playing the flute for the fairies and the animals in the mythical Part boy, part goat, right? We all know that. (laughs) Right, of course. Uh, Right, duh. (laughs) Maybe more significantly, though, he's the god of nature, right? Yes. So that ties in with what mom was saying originally, that Peter Pan is very, he's connected somehow to to the natural world, maybe representing the essence of childhood somehow. In the... The god of wildness. In Mm -hmm. the Little White Bird chapter, Peter Pan... Uh, when he's first introduced, um, Peter Pan is seen during lockout time, which I thought was really interesting. This he has that entire chapter takes place during lockout time in Kensington Gardens in London, um, and Barry pictures it as the sort of magical time when the fairies come out; they don't have to hide from men anymore. And the Lost Boys, that is, the little ones that have fallen out of their perambulators during the daytime, and and their parents have lost them as a result. They're all there with Peter Pan, and Peter Pan is this little child. Initially, he's like an infant, right? Who's fallen out of the perambulator. But in the later novel, he's what would you say, uh, right on the cusp of adolescence, maybe what ten, eleven, twelve. Something Maybe. like that. But anyway, he's riding a goat in Kensington Park. Mm. So this little mm. boy that rides a goat. So again, evocative of the pan mythology. The myth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I we've kind of gone far afield, but I had a, a suggestion myself about the heartlessness of Peter oh, Pan. Is yeah. that right if I go back to that? Yes, oh, please. please do. Um, one of the things I thought as I was reading his character and trying to choose a voice for him and noticing how he interacts with the other boys and their, their comedic lines is this, this heartlessness and this um, he's, he's just, but he's fickle. He's really determined to, to deal justice to all the boys and be their King, but he's changeable in essence. And I thought that was a really interesting contrast and might be a result of what we talked about previously, that he's, he has no memory of himself even Mm -hmm. from moment to moment. And as a result, he has no self-knowledge at all. What mom was saying about Wendy, that she grows and changes and has memory of times where she's been good and times where she's been bad. And it gives her some empathy for fellow characters in the story. Peter lacks empathy altogether, Mm -hmm. it seems. And it might be because he doesn't remember himself from moment to moment. And so if he is 
altogether just at this moment, then he is the most merciless king of all time. And he has no empathy for his little, his little minions. And he will deal with them accordingly. So kind of a scary guy to have on your little childhood throne. Don't you think that that's so consistent, though, with, um, with the, the layer of sorrow that Barry weaves into his, his character's mm-hmm. narrative, this, this forsakenness on his part and his attempts to deal with it in his childish psyche by mm-hmm. refusing to look at himself or at anyone else. Um, because really, if you think about the feeling of a child like Peter Pan, when he does finally return, he remembers his mother and he goes back and far from finding her pining after him, she's replaced him and shut him out of her life, mm. whether on purpose or inadvertently. Or whether he misinterprets or a whether he misinterprets process. it all together. Right. You know, who knows what's gone on there? But that is, I think, a very realistic childish response to rejection by your mother. And so you can forgive him. It's interesting that it does create a savageness in him, a brutality like what you're saying, but it's it's a reaction to woundedness mm-hmm. on his part. And I think it's interesting that this novel, this particular character has been so um, well-received by the public. Yeah, I was going to say something like that too. Not only <laughs> just in terms of entertainment for children and adults alike, but also it has become um, referenced by a psychologist, uh, Dr. Dan Kiley, who used the, the term Peter Pan to name a syndrome that he saw in clinics where um, men refused to grow up and therefore couldn't function in their families, couldn't be husbands and fathers. He called it the Peter Pan syndrome, men who have never grown up, the eternal boy, right? And we've probably known some of those in our lifetime, grown men who've never grown up, who treat their wives like their mothers and are completely irresponsible, refuse abjectly to take responsibility, though they have it. Um, This is what he was saying. And you can see, I think, when you think with Kylie, right? When you think with Kylie, why did he choose this term to talk about this syndrome? The the nuance in Barry's story of this Peter Pan figure, the woundedness that caused this kind of callous response and this um, this stunted growth, as you keep saying, is it's obvious in Barry's story. He does a beautiful job of articulating it and also finding within it not only some sort of um, sympathy, but also some beauty. Well, that's interesting because it sounds like that 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 the gist of our conversation is sort of stressing the the pain and the the darkness of Peter Pan's situation and the situation that he represents. But it is kind of multifaceted. There is beauty there as well, right? Talk to me about that a little bit. I mean, it's hard. I think. Go ahead, Emily. Well, I was going to say I think that's what Disney captured so well, mm-hmm. and we can we can brush him aside for not capturing all the nuance, but he, he, he never really set out to do that with any of his films and no. that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, but I think he captures that beauty of childhood really well mm-hmm. in, in the cartoon. Yeah, and I agree. what, well, Emily, what would you say uh, that beauty of childhood consists in, in the case of Peter Pan or the lost boys or of, of the young Wendy mm-hmm. or the, the world of Neverland? It's the world of imagination and play and innocence. And um, on the one hand, Peter's inability to remember and see himself is a problem. And that 
doesn't work in the real world. But on the other hand, it's beautiful mm-hmm. self forgetfulness. Yeah. In inability to think about yourself actually becomes a great blessing in childhood because mm-hmm. they're completely open. Mm-hmm. And they can adopt new characters. They can be someone new each day because they don't know themselves at all. And so mm-hmm. the imagination runs wild. And one day they're, you know, they're savages in the wilderness. And the next day they're kings and queens. And it just depends on Peter's whim in the day. And I think that's, it's beautiful interpretation of childhood play. Yes. It also allows them adventure, right? Because so often adventures of the type that we see in Peter Pan um, are impossible in a world where there are deadlines and responsibilities and bills to pay and, and things like that. It takes an interpolation to see adult responsibility taking as an adventure of its own. Hmm. Which, by the way, I, until you said that, I hadn't thought about the fact that at the beginning of the story, Mr. Darling, the, the big joke is whether or not he's going to accept or keep the children that they have Wendy and he isn't quite sure if that's going to work, but right. Wendy and he's always crunching the oh, numbers. John, Michael was a real problem. They almost had to get rid of Michael. <laughs> right? so by the end of the story, uh, they bring in the lost boys and he gets very upset. Oh yeah. And I mean, as a reader, as an adult reader, I'm think, thinking, well, of course he's upset. How's he going to pay for all these boys? How's he going to pay for all of these children? And that's not why he's upset. He's upset because they didn't ask him. Hmm. He just wanted to be asked. And then they said, well, of course, we, we don't think you're a third wheel, right? Yeah. And then he's, just, he's overjoyed. I just think that's an interesting development in Mr. Darling's character. And doesn't and he his- get down on his hands and knees in that scene and let them ride him like a horse around the room and, <laughs> and follow the leader and yeah. all this stuff? Yeah, it's it's very, it mirrors Peter Pan in a lot of ways. And it's a contrast too, because here he is shouldering responsibility for all of them. And in so doing, he rediscovers his imagination. Yes. So it's like a second, it's a beautiful, natural second childhood mm-hmm. well, in and some it's ways. The, it's the loss of the children that the parents suffer while they're gone, it, it softens him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he takes to living in Nana's cage. Yeah, he's day. in the doghouse. I loved that part. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> the literal doghouse. Dog is that the is that the origin of the phrase "had I to sleep know. in the doghouse"? Great, <laughs> and he chose it. She didn't put him there. <laughs> I wonder about that. It's an old enough story that it could be the source of some stuff. I mean, a f- uh, legend has it that Jay and Barry invented the name Wendy. Is that true too? Do you guys have you guys read that before? No, I've never. No, I've never no, read I didn't that. Know that. I have a friend named Wendy who says that's the origin of her name. As far as she knows, Jay and Barry invented it. That's interesting. That would be something to verify. Probably should have verified it before I said it on you the know, air. You know, in all of my reading, <laughs> I, I, I didn't public. see that anywhere. So that's a really interesting idea. <laughs> I did, however, Uh-oh. see that in the original stage play, Barry wrote in the line um, in in response to Peter choosing not to come back with the Lost Boys. Um, to live would have been an even greater adventure. Mm-hmm. Right? So that he doesn't have little children going off and... <laughs> Offing themselves, or <laughs> I don't, I don't know. But that's just, a dark reading. <laughs> no, I think more that he's he's not when he's writing this story, suggesting that it's a good to stay in Neverland forever. What he's doing is saying childhood is good and adulthood is good too, because these relationships with mothers, for example, as well as with one another, um, depend on a kind of self knowledge and a, and a maturity that Neverland doesn't allow. And mm-hmm. those relationships are sweet. They're good. They're full of light. 
So I don't, think he's, a, I don't think he's trying to say, let's all, too bad we didn't all stay in Neverland forever. No. It, he's not encouraging children to never grow up. He's showing them the hazards of never growing up and um, hoping they'll choose with his characters to become a grown-up someday. I think so. I mean, that's the that's the reading I get from reading the whole story rather than rather than uh, getting the the idyllic portrait of one facet of the story, which is what I think. And Emily, you're right. I think Disney gives it to us in glorious color in such a way that we actually we actually appreciate and enjoy and long for something good. But I think the whole picture that we get from the text is more nuanced and kind of. I don't want to say leans in that other direction, but offers as much a warning as a, as a hymn of praise to childhood. What do you think of that? Well, I tend to agree with you. Megan, what do you think of it? <laughs> uh, I totally agree. I, I, um, <laughs> Nibs, what about you? <laughs> <laughs> Tootles. Anyone? Anyone for Tootles? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I feel like absolutely that's kind of, we're just sort of rehashing the same, the same idea, right? Is that, were there a new facet that I missed? I wasn't really introducing a facet. I was more buffing and he was burnishing on a an theme. existing facet. Yeah, right. Yep. <laughs> he likes burnishing to riff. A theme. So, so Peter Pan comes along in the first decade of the 20th century. And that makes it an early landmark in children's literature. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a, a half a generation after the works of George MacDonald in the same ballpark as Lewis Carroll in, how do you guys see this, this book standing up against some of the other landmarks of early children's literature? Wind in the Willows is the first decade of the, or the sec, early second decade of the 20th century. It's almost it basically came out more or less the same time. So it, it came out in a world that knew George MacDonald already that new Kenneth Graham already. What? How do how do you think it compares? Is it of a piece with those in your estimation, or does it strike out in some new direction? Well, I can see all of the the um, elements of fairy tale present in this story, even as they are in, for example, George MacDonald's stories. Mm. Um, the fancy, the whimsy, is present as well. Um, I don't know about, you know, I'm just remembering, even as I'm speaking, that um, in my reading about George MacDonald in particular, he fostered a little artistic community around him that included, for example, Lewis Carroll and some others. I wonder if J.M. Barry, were they contemporaries? I wonder if he was influenced by him or if they had a friendship. I would have to look that up again and see. But obviously, as these things are published, they influence other authors. I even read somewhere that Tolkien, um, as he created his Lord of the Rings series, was more than likely influenced, says his biographer, by this particular work. The idea of fairies, Barry's interpretation and his characterization of fairies. Oh, really? Um, influenced <laughs> Tolkien's invention as well. <laughs> so anyway, I, as I was reading and thinking about the story, um, rather than comparing it to other works of children's literature like you've done, I was actually thinking about Mark Twain and Huckleberry Finn and mm -hmm. making comparisons in my mind between mm -hmm. Huck and Peter Pan and wondering, um, wondering if Barry had actually influenced Twain. In or the creation. other way around, you mean? Uh, have I got my dates wrong? Yeah, I probably. Twain you know influenced I mean? Barry? Yeah. I, well, I see a resonance between the two characters anyway. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. Cause In the noble savage character, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that, you know, I don't know that Peter Pan was an intentional noble savage. He was just immature child, childishness, right. In all of its beauty and horror, <laughs> you I know? know, though, because isn't the idea of the noble savage, like, um, man in his essence, even standing against a cultural, yes, a cultural idea of manhood. And I think that resonates with Peter Pan for sure. All, yes. all other boys grow up except one. Well, in the resistance kind to of standing against the world socialization and, um, civilized society, right? At least mm-hmm. the stage play has taken off with that idea. When I was a kid, um, went to a public school, and I remember in a music class singing one of the selections out of the Peter Pan Broadway musical that said, I won't grow up, I don't want to go to school just to learn to be a pirate and recite a growing, the golden rule. If growing mm-hmm. up means um, it will be beneath my dignity to climb a tree, I'll never grow up, never grow up, <laughs> never grow up, not me, like that. Yes. I love that you begin singing by the end. You well, just recite the music lyrics. will out. Music yeah, will out. Music will out. But you know that the they were majoring in that idea of society turning you into pirates in a sense. Mm. Right? Which I thought was really an interesting reading of the story. Yeah. Uh, and well that's that's the Mr. Darling is also Captain Hook thread, right? Right. A man is a pirate by the mm-hmm. end. Well, and in the but, original stage production, um, Daphne du Maurier's father actually played both Mr. Darling and Captain Hook. So I think mm-hmm. that was from the beginning a, um, a commonality. Intended. I wonder if Barry did that on purpose or if he had du Maurier play that particular role um, just because... He there weren't enough guys. There weren't enough guys to play the parts. I mean, it is common to Not double up guys in the theater. Beards. You know, are we are we making an assumption here um, that goes too far? I don't, I don't know. What do you guys think? I, that's a really good question. And I was going to ask. Uh, I, I wonder if the staging of the play says more about the the people that staged it, or maybe even to be a historian for a second about the audience that was going to watch it, mm-hmm. and what the directors thought would sell, or the, what the directors thought would please. Maybe it says as much about that as it does about the the themes of the of the text of the novel. Well, except the... that Du Maurier's father mm-hmm. staged it with Barry. So Barry and Du Maurier were staging this production together and that's the artistic decision they made. Right. I'm just thinking about that as a the the dramatic presentation of it that extends up into the Disney era. This is the question I was kind of running on. We get a picture of childhood from The Wind in the Willows from the works of George MacDonald, from the works of Lewis Carroll, from the works of J.M. Barry, And I wonder, and that's, those are all more or less coterminous, 1880s to 1915 or 1920, say that 40-year period. Mm-hmm. And then the, the movie slash play slash television versions of all of those stories come around a generation later with spin on them that I wonder if that gives us a clue to an emerging picture of childhood that's slightly different. Does the, does the, the picture of childhood that the West kind of harbored between 1880 and 1920 uh, change between that period and the middle of the 20th century? And, 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 and I guess the, the question is, does the, the shifting version of Peter Pan that we get, is that kind of an index of that? Emily, you look like you want to say something. Go ahead. Well, I was just thinking that, 
with Lewis Carroll in particular, and I, it's been so, so long since I have interacted with any version of Alice in Wonderland, but it struck me that his childhood place is called mm-hmm. Wonderland, and that's pre-Peter Pan, correct? Mm-hmm. 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 And, and then Barry comes along and calls it Neverland. So even that seems to be a little bit of a correction. In, in Carol, it's the wondrous imagination just playing around with nonsense, right? He, he was the famous lover of the nonsense mm-hmm, poem. Mm-hmm. And uh, Barry comes along and kind of brings this darker side to not just focusing on what childhood has that's particular to it, but what it doesn't have, what it can mm-hmm. never have, mm-hmm. what you have to be an adult to experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I get those those same overtones, similar overtones in my reading of The Wind in the Willows, too, which is an early 20th mm-hmm. century book. The the melancholy, the notes of loss mm-hmm. and and irretrievable glories of that go along with growing up and becoming yeah. worldly. And the yeah. presence of the the wild wood and then the wide world, they're within sight of this idyllic little riverbank. And their, their their presence is constantly felt at the edges of the novel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. I think um, Kenneth Graham actually wrote *The Wind in the Willows* for his son in installments. His son was working in the city, in the wide world, right? In the, in wide the world, world of finance, yeah. you know, and was mm-hmm. struggling with um, depression that eventually resulted in his suicide. Right. There's the dark underbelly oh, of so that sad. particular story. It's super sad, um, but I. I wonder if industrialization and movement towards the city and this growing um, enterprise that drew people kind of away from home and family, which was the integral unit in society until this moment of industrialization, um, if, if that is what these authors were kind of treating in part that you see as a common thread here. If that's the purpose, maybe that's the reason behind um, the melancholy that you feel in them. I think there's something to that. Yeah, I think you can see it in the in the way that Peter Pan, that the um, what is how does it go in the last chapters? Um, you can find John and Doodles in any office, carrying mm-hmm. a briefcase home from lunch, and uh, that's too bad. Song. You know, right? Yeah. That's too bad. There may be something like that. I don't know though because. There is a dullness that affects the adult life, a necessary dullness there that he includes at the end of Peter Pan. But I have to say that he puts a, a positive spin in the end on maturing and taking those kinds of adult responsibilities. They're less colorful, but the stability and the the possibility of family that exists. like We see Wendy at the end has become the mother she wanted to be. She has mm-hmm. a real child, not... Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, she's not just posing as a mother. She is a mother. Whereas, like what Emily said, I loved your interpretation of Neverland being a place where some things can never be, mm-hmm. as opposed to um, Neverland being the place that we all wish we could go, you know? All what can't be there? there. Yes. Yeah. What can't be there is this relationship that Wendy wants to have with Peter from the get-go when she gives him the thimble, right? She wants to have a romantic relationship with him that he's absolutely incapable of having. She wants to be the mother, that is, she wants to be his wife and have a family with him, but that's not possible in Neverland. Mm -hmm. 
And it seems like this image of family that he leaves us with at the end is the adventure, the adventure of all adventures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think even Peter, in moments that pass very quickly and he forgets all about them, <laughs> knows very well mm-hmm. because of because of the repeated attempt to find himself a mother. I mean, mm-hmm. he continues to go back to that, which is a, a little silent acknowledgement of his need that will never be met by that that real iteration of family that Wendy goes and finds. Right. He continues to go back and get the next the next uh, darling daughter to yep. be his mother. And he knows this need each moment. Mm-hmm. He just forgets the last time that he needed it. So he's kind of caught in that cycle. And even in the midst of, of playing the role of father to the lost boys, he says, but I'm not really their father though, right, Wendy? Right? This is all just mm-hmm. pretend, right? Mm-hmm. This idea of responsibility is just too much for him to contemplate. It's too real. Yeah. Wow. You guys, profound. I knew it would be profound. You know, I knew it would have d- more depth than a than a popular cartoon, but I appreciate you all teasing out some of that depth with me today. I think that overall, it's very, very much brighter than Huckleberry Finn. You know, Twain's exploring a lot of the same things, but there's a darkness in the character of Huck and in the treatment of society that isn't present in Barry's work. I think but that's I fair. That he, he ends his story talking about what happens to the various characters, and he says something to the effect of, um, we shouldn't write this in ink. We should write it in a golden splash. Oh, yeah. And I love that that is the tone that we get at the end, even though it's bittersweet, even though Peter is left out, mm-hmm. right? Um, as he's telling you the history of how everyone turns out, he writes even that in a golden splash, and it's very optimistic and positive, and I don't think we get that same tone from Huckleberry Finn. I agree. Yeah. I agree. That's well said. Well said. Speaking of well said, thank you guys for uh, for joining me today. This was really fun. We're going to go ahead mm-hmm. and put this up and move on to reading another one out loud. And uh, Emily, as the multimedia yeah, coordinator, that? associate director for multimedia and other things <laughs> at Center for Lit, tell us what we're doing next. <laughs> Is that, should I put that as my title on my email? Associate director Just... for multimedia and other things. Yeah, and other <laughs> things. And other things right now. <laughs> Whatever I can think of. Email signature that stretches the whole length of your email. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I didn't hear your question. because What's confused. up next for Radio Realong? Well, you're the one choosing it. I did. I did choose it. I have chosen (laughs) Frankenstein, a modern Prometheus by Mary Shelley. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. (laughs) Frankenstein. (laughs) No, we're going to be reading Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. And those episodes will begin to drop the next time Radio Read Along comes out. And we look forward to joining you online for those. And we'll, we will even break in the middle or maybe at the end and have Mm -hmm. a discussion like this about this great autumnal classic. It's a great time of year for it. I agree. So looking forward to that. We will see you soon online. And uh, if you have a comment about the podcast, please, please go ahead and give it to us wherever you get your podcast content, iTunes, Stitcher. There's other names I'm supposed to say there, but I frankly don't know what they are. Look forward to hearing your feedback in all forms. You can always come by the website at centerforlit.com and see what else we're doing for readers and lovers of books. And until we meet again online, my friends, Happy reading. Happy reading. Radio Read Along is a production of the Center for Lit podcast network, featuring weekly episodes from the world's best stories. Want to listen ahead? Find this entire novel inside the Pelican Society 
at www.pelicansociety.com. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until next time, happy reading, everyone. <laughs>